0: There's something true about being a parent, and I I would have never known this until I became one. But uh, sometimes, as parents, we're just making it up as we go. Can we be honest about that? Uh, We might not want to admit it, but it's just the truth. We're doing the best we can sometimes because we're we're juggling all the different needs and responsibilities and schedules and pressures. And then on top of that, we really are trying to raise good, kind, responsible, godly humans. I mean, it's a lot to carry as a mom and a dad. It's an amazing privilege, of course, but, but it often feels like more than we can handle, and so sometimes we just have to just do our best in any given moment. Uh, some parenting tactics, therefore, are more successful than others. Let me give you one of my best parenting tactics here. Very effective. Sometimes when our boys are, are you know, arguing or conflicting, maybe in a different room or behind us in the car, I'll just kind of throw my head back and I'll say, hey, love each other. Now, as you might imagine, instantaneous change of heart. uh, Good time to mention that my book is for sale right out front when you're leaving. If you want some more of that gold that I just shared with you. Uh, Y'all, it doesn't take an expert to know that's not how... Uh, The heart changes. Uh, It's not enough. It's never enough to simply be told what to do. Especially when it comes to the deepest emotions and behaviors and sins of our heart. You can't just be told different. That doesn't change who we are from the inside. Well, y'all, here in 1 John, as we've walked through this wonderful book, we keep running into the same commands over and over again. Specifically the one we see today, very clear, very adamant from the heart of the Apostle John, more than anything else, he wants Christians to love each other. That's his desire. It's the defining mark of Christian identity and behavior. This is an absolute non-negotiable that we love each other, but John knows the human heart the same as we do. The command to love is certainly good and right and obvious. Nobody would disagree with the command. But a command all by itself cannot make you a loving person. You don't become this way simply by being told that it's right or that you ought to. Only as we encounter God and His love do we really begin to understand and take on the kind of love that God commands of us. It must be felt, it must be experienced in order to become operational. And that's what our scripture today is all about. It's not just the obligation to love, which is a very clear command in the scripture. It's deeper than that. It's the very nature, the very experience of love, which produces it now in our hearts and in our relationships. And so, y'all, this is very deep water that we're going to dive into today. This is one of the great scriptures in all of the Bible, especially concerning this particular topic of love. So we're not going to try to dissect every individual verse. We're going to take a big chunk of the Scripture this morning. My hope is that it would just soak deep into us, as we are both encouraged and challenged by it. And so this is 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. We're going to go all the way through verse 21 this morning. We'll just break it down piece by piece. Verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Why must we love one another? There's the question. Because it's the right thing to do? Sure. Because God says so. Absolutely. But if we stopped there, like I just... Pointed out, If we stopped there, we might have a clear obligation, but no transformation. We might know the right thing to do, but be powerless to actually do it. Or to do it in a way that would please and measure up to the standard of God. You don't become loving by being told. And so look what happens here. John knows this. Jesus knows this. And so John goes deeper than simply the command. John is showing us the nature of what love is. And where it comes from. He says, love one another for love is from God. That means, y'all, love originates in God and emanates from God. So when we love each other, we're not just showing obedience to a command. We show, John says, we show that we belong to the Lord. That we know Him. That we've been born of Him. Which is, Shorthand for salvation. We've been born again by His Spirit. And now our love is evidence of knowing and belonging to the Lord. And so you can't just position a command and say, well, now do it. John says no, it goes deeper than that. We love each other. Why? Because love is from God and this is what it means to know Him. And then he goes even a layer deeper than that. Look at verse 8. The one who does not uh, love does not know God For God is love. Now, it's one thing to say God is loving, which is wonderfully true. But to say God is love belongs in its own special category all by itself. This is something you can't say about anybody else but God. You can't say, Kyle is love. It's simply not true. At my, on my best days, I am loving, thank God. But I'm not love. I'm not the very definition and personification of the word. Only God can be defined in this way. He is love. Now, I, look, before we dig deeper into what this means, let me give you two quick things it doesn't mean that we could mistake ourselves in. God is love doesn't mean that somehow love cancels out God's other attributes. No, God is still perfectly just and holy and righteous. And so if somebody, if somebody ever says, well, if God is love, then why does He judge people? Well, that's, that's what we call a false dichotomy. It assumes that God, if He's one thing, He can't be something else simultaneously or perfectly. But the Bible doesn't give us that image of God. No, God's perfect love and His perfect justice, in this case, they don't ever contradict. One doesn't have to consume the other. It's not one or the other, in this case, it's both and. And then secondly, God is love does not mean that anything we define as love must therefore be sanctioned by God. There are things that human beings call love that the Bible calls sin. And in that case, we can't redefine terms. God is love is not a license for us to do things that God forbids, all in the name of love. So, what does it mean that God is love? Well, y'all, it means, at least it means, that it is in God's nature to love. It means that perfect love springs forth from God most naturally and impulsively, because it's who He is. Y'all, God does not need to be moved to love. I want you to think about this. God does not need to be moved to love. He is love. And here's what that means for us. This This is good news. God does not need you to be lovely in order to love you. God doesn't require us to be worthy in order for Him to meet us in the middle somehow and love us. In that case, we would, re- we would need to do something or be something that moves God to love us that is a catalyst for His response and that's just simply not the case. God's love in no way depends on who we are or what we do. It depends entirely on who He is. He is Love. And that's a game changer when we begin to understand it and take it to heart. God doesn't need me to move Him to love. He simply is love, and therefore He loves me. He loves you. And we know this is true. We can be certain because of what John tells us next. In verse 9, by this, John says, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only begotten Son Into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Y'all, what we just, there is no higher thought, there is no greater reality. There's no better news than what we just read right there. You will live and die and you'll never ever hear anything better than that. How has God loved us? At infinite cost to Himself, in absolute self-sacrifice, He sent His only Son into the world without our request, without our initiation, without any regard for our worthiness, into a world God knew would reject Him, into a world that could never repay Him. But that of course serves God's point. That serves John's point. A love that doesn't have to be moved to action, but a love that simply is. What is it that moved God to send His Son into the world? John says it, not our love for Him, but because He is love. He has loved us and sent His Son. And so Jesus came for us as the once and for all ultimate defining act of divine love. He came and He died for us. The just for the unjust. The sinless one for sinners. Y'all, this is... um, this is the spiritual equivalent of trying to stare into the sun, which I don't recommend. My wife, the eye doctor, <laughs> would also not recommend it. But this is, this is what we're doing here. We're, it's like we're trying to look into something that can't be taken in. The love of God revealed in Jesus Christ is so bright, it's so brilliant, so otherworldly, John tells us, that we can scarcely comprehend it. And y'all, we have to be clear on this as well. The love of God, as the Scripture defines it, is not some general kind of love that kind of blankets the world at large but has no particular target in mind. No, God loves you. His love is specific and personal, not merely general. He loves you. Now, we could stop here and just bask in this truth all day. You'll spend your lifetime, I hope, basking in the light of what we just read. But let's keep in mind that that John is giving us this truth of God to illustrate a larger application, to point us to something that we're also responsible for, right? And it is our love for one another that John has mostly in mind here. And so look again at verse 11 now, at how John combines these ideas together. Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Now that's an amazing statement. Y'all, you would realize what John is doing here, he's acknowledging something very mysterious, what we might call the invisibility of God. And this is a point that perhaps some skeptics would argue to say, well, listen, if there's a God, why can't we see Him? We've looked in the Hubble telescope and He's not out there. You know, we, why wouldn't God prove Himself by making Himself visible to us? You know, Interestingly enough, the Bible has always taught this, not as a crippling thing to our faith, but as something that bolsters our faith. An understanding that God is invisible to our eyes. And so John has no problem acknowledging this, teaching this, embracing this. No one has seen God at any time. But then look what he says. No one has seen God in the same way that we can see each other in this room. But if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Perfected meaning it reaches its intended goal. It comes to its completed point. It does what it's meant to do. Y'all, when we love each other, John says, God's own real love is visibly represented among us. We see Him. We see something of God that is absolutely real and tangible and touchable because He is abiding in us and expressing His very nature through us. When we love our fellow brothers and sisters, we image God. We see something of Him that otherwise is invisible to us. We show forth something of God that can be seen and felt. And I hope we take that as an amazing responsibility and a privilege that the church is called to exhibit the person of God in how we act and how we treat one another. Now, the Scripture does tell us, of course... That we witness, we behold the Lord in all sorts of different ways. God has not left us without witness of Himself, even though we can't see Him. Uh, we see His divine power in creation, Romans 1 tells us. We know moral goodness that comes from God that is revealed through our conscience, Romans 2. We experience God's kindness through His provision and the many pleasures of life that we get to taste and experience because He is good to us. God is kind. He has not left us without witness. All of those things are very powerful revelations of God to the world. But John is adamant about this point, And Jesus was too. Y'all, a church that is transformed by divine love is a visible reflection of divine reality. We're supposed to love one another so radically that someone looking in from the outside could have no rational explanation for it. Any more than we can rationally explain moral consciousness or the perfect order of the universe. Those things couldn't have just happened. And neither could this. Genuine self-sacrificing love within a community, that doesn't just happen. It's evidence of God's very real presence among us. That's what John wants us to see. Just as God has loved us, we ought to love one another. We image God when we do. Now I want us to take a breath here because we're only halfway through this scripture. There's a second part to this passage where John is going to start combining themes here from the greater letter, not just this section that we're in, John wants to show us the grounding of this love, what grounds it, what, what, you know, creates it among us, and then he wants to give us some points of application, which we're always grateful for. I'm, as a pastor, I'm grateful when the Bible goes ahead and applies it for me. Uh, I don't have to be so much creative in that case. John's going to tell us what to do. Y'all, but what, here's, here's the first question. What is the grounding of Christian love? We've already mentioned it in a, a moment ago, love is from God. But let's get a little more specific as John does. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. We have come to know that And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. That's a mouthful right there. But, y'all, what John is doing right here, he's reminding us that love is a consequence. Love is not something that we create and produce. It doesn't originate with us. It's a consequence of something greater, something prior. We love, John says, because we have God's Spirit in us to produce love. And we have God's Spirit within us because we have confessed and have trusted Jesus Christ as God's Son and our Savior. So, one thing that we see when we talk about the grounding of love through the Spirit, through the Son, Y'all, one one little application point, I hope, is that we see, y'all, love is not something that is squishy and ambiguous and impossible to define. If we define love only in human terms, then the target is always moving because we are fickle. But, y'all, love is not a free-floating idea for us that we can never pin down. The love that we're talking about, John says, is grounded in the truth the truth of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The triune God is present here in this Scripture. All three present and working within our hearts and within the church to produce this love. We receive God's love by faith, John says, and now we walk in love by abiding in Him. So y'all, if there, and, and there are people who say this, perhaps we've thought this at different times, because it sounds very spiritual. Some people will say, listen, doctrine doesn't matter. All that matters is that we love people. It, it's not so, what you believe is not the most important thing. What really matters is that we love each other. Now, that sounds very spiritual, but that doesn't work. And, and first of all, y'all, if we just put our little critical thinking hats on for ten seconds, that statement that I just gave us, that is a doctrine. To say doctrine doesn't matter is a doctrine. It's a belief that we stand on. All that matters is that we love each other. That's a belief that hems us in and provides boundaries for how we ought to think and live. You can't get away from doctrine. But then, secondly, and more importantly, John is super clear that the uniqueness of Christian love only comes by the foundation of Christian truth, it requires a confession of Christ, John says a reception of the Holy Spirit, and an abiding relationship with the Father. Those are essential Christian doctrines that ground Christian love and make it real and make it distinctive. That's how we can say Christian love truly is a unique thing, a divine thing. It's not just normal, ordinary human love with a Christian bumper sticker. It's something different. It's something transforming. It's something divine. John gives us the grounding for it. And now that he's done that, he gives us some application. Y'all, it's, it's, I'm, I'm being loose with these terms, but there's two points of application here. One is more internal, one more external, if we want to think of it like that. Look at the first one, a little more internal here, verse 17. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Now it seems to me that John's focus here is on the perfect love of God that has been shown us in Christ. And there's a specific point to be made in this case. For those who confess Jesus as God's Son, we have therefore received God's Spirit. We now abide in God the Father. Now God's love has been perfected with us. Y'all, if that's what John means here, that it's it's God's perfect love that's in view, then that means also that there's nothing more for God to do to make us secure in His love. There's nothing more God must do to prove that He really loves us. Everything that God has done, He has done with the absolute um, uh, divine love and sincerity once and for all. There's no more for Him to do in the sending of His Son, in His Spirit, in the making of His children, uh, those who belong to Him in the church. Like this, he's, he's done it. We're secure in it. Everything's accomplished. And therefore, John says, the application is, we may now have confidence in the Day of Judgment. We have no reason to fear God's judgment. Why not? Because as He is, as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. Now I think what John has in mind is that is this. That uh, because we have trusted Jesus, we are now united with Jesus. He is God's beloved Son, and by faith in Him, we are now God's beloved children, His sons and daughters. Jesus stands as righteous before God, and now so do we. Because His righteousness has been granted, it's been imputed to us, and therefore as He is, so we are now also. We stand on the same standing that Christ stands upon because we are in Christ. And so we might ask a silly question in that case, what what would Jesus have to fear on the Day of Judgment? Is Jesus biting his fingernails, worrying himself about the day of judgment to come? As if he is somehow at risk. No. That's a silly question, right? Jesus has nothing to fear. He's Jesus. Well, John's point is this. Neither do we then, if we belong to him. If we are are Jesus' brothers and sisters, God's sons and daughters by faith, then we have nothing at all to fear because our standing is in Christ. And so John says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. So long story short here, if you know and trust Jesus, having received the great love of God that He has for you, then you may live right now with absolute confidence and without fear. There is no judgment waiting for you on the other side. Because through the cross of Jesus, God has taken our judgment away. We do not come into judgment, Jesus says, but we have passed out of death and into life. Once and for all, it's been accomplished. And y'all, some of us, I know, some of us struggle with this. This feeling that perhaps, you know God loves you, you know Jesus forgives you, but perhaps, somehow still, your sins and your failures are going to follow you to the other side. Your sins are going to find you out one way or another. And so you don't have the confidence that John speaks of right here. Because you just can't see how God could really forgive me knowing what I've done. And in that case, y'all, I, just, I want you to consider that perhaps we have overestimated the power of our sin and underestimated the power of God's love. Y'all, God God has not loved the ideal you. God does not love the potential you. If you could just ever get your act together, then imagine how much God could love you. Y'all, that is not what the Bible teaches us. God loves sinful, broken, insecure you and me. And He sent His Son to forgive all our sins. And so if we lack confidence here, it's probably because we still give more weight to our sin than we give to God's love. It's not anything defective in what God has done for us. We just have a defective perception of who He is and how much He really cares for us. So John says, perfect love Casts out fear. No sin, no judgment, no fear can stand in the blinding light of God's love for you. And I pray for you that you would really, even today, just begin to believe that. We do not come into judgment if we belong to Christ. We have nothing to fear. That's a great point of application, by the way. Now the second point of application as we close, we might call this more external. It's internal too, but it's external also. Look at verse 19. We love, John says, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Now John is right here, he's arguing from the lesser to the greater. If I don't love you, the people I see right in front of my face, then how can I love God whom I cannot see? If I hate my brother who's right in front of me, I cannot love God who is above me. And y'all, there's no wriggling our way out of this one right here. You know, we just We don't have any room for exceptions. There's no room. John gives us no room for hypocrisy to speak out of both sides of our mouth. Uh, and y'all, this is consistent with the Scripture. Jesus preached this. James preached it. Peter says it. It's everywhere. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. And so this is the defining stamp upon His children. It's not the only thing. Remember, John has told us We abide in the truth, we walk in righteousness, and we also walk in love. The three great points of evidence that show us that we belong to the Lord. But this one is the softest, most wonderful, tangible, touchable thing right here. We perhaps, perhaps could fake the others and make it on through somehow, but we can't fake this one. Love shows that we know Him. Hate proves that we don't. And y'all, I'm just going to let that one sit with us, as John does. If it stings a little bit, then good. It's supposed to, because it's supposed to bring us out of whatever darkness we find ourselves and into the light of genuine love. So y'all, what we've preached here, about four different sermons in one, okay? I beg your pardon on that, but that's the way John lays it out for us this morning. But here, maybe if I can bring it on home in one little illustration, I'm going to try my best. Y'all, when we moved into our house six and a half years ago. Y'all, a lot of us have had this experience. You move into a house, especially if it's a, a used house and not a new build, then um, there was a place in the wall with a wire sticking out. And I don't, y'all, I don't know anything about anything. So I wasn't about to touch that wire. I didn't want to get electrocuted. And so I just pointed out to the home inspector and he looks at it and without even blinking, he says, uh, oh yeah, yeah. And he snips it. And then, you know, patch it over. He says, that's nothing. It's got no current. It's a dead wire. Nothing to worry about. A dead wire, of course, receives no current, and therefore it serves no purpose. Snip it, patch it up, and forget about it. Y'all, for those of us who trust in Jesus Christ, you are a live wire. You and I have received the great love of God. And now we are conduits of His love. God's love does not terminate on us and serve no purpose in the world. No, His love powers in us and through us and connects with those around us. That's the only way God's love is meant to function, that we receive it and now transmit His love. And it's a glorious thing, y'all, when the church recognizes this. There are no dead wires here. We don't get patched over and forgotten about. We serve the purpose of God in this world and among His people. When the church really loves each other, then we begin to serve the divine purpose for which God has put us here on this earth. The divine love we've been given is now the love that we emanate, that we radiate, that we share. And John says it is proof positive that God is among us. So what I quoted earlier in the welcome time, I want to bring it back to us again as we close. The Apostle Paul sums this up so wonderfully. A teaching that is consistent in the Scripture as to what God has done for us and therefore what we are now in this world. Ephesians 5. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Walk in love. Live it out. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. Y'all, we as Christians have no lack of motivation or reason to do this. But the Bible doesn't just say, love each other. God has poured his love out through his son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, we have both the command and the animating power to do and to be all that he calls us to be. Y'all, I'm going to ask us to respond here in these moments. Uh, One way you can respond here as we pray and sing, Uh, our pastors Aaron and Evan will be at the back of the room by each double door, and you can come and find them and pray with them about what it means to trust Christ, to be a Christian, about what it means to grow in love, to be forgiven of your sin. If if there's anything at all that we can pray with you and talk with you about, y'all, we'd delight to do that. But all of us, whether we get up and go to the back of the room or not, all of us have a response here in front of us. Uh, The Scripture lays it out so wonderfully. We love because He has first loved us. What a wonderful privilege we've been given. And where the sting is felt, where we know we have fallen short, then we have the privilege in these moments to stand and sing, to pray and ask, God, would you make your love so real to me, so deep in my heart, that I can't help but pour it out on those you've called me to love. We all have a response this morning. And, uh, and, and let's pray that God would, would bring a love uh, so rich and deep and profound among us that anyone looking in at Harvest Church would have no rational explanation. This must be of God. Father, this is our heart. And I pray, Lord, uh, knowing knowing my own heart that um, I just can't produce this. I know I should. I know it's right. But Lord, unless you unless you work in me to create it, to foster it, to, to cultivate it, it just won't happen. Um, Lord, I. I would confess that I I so often I have to be moved to love. I have to need a good reason. Um, I have to have a person who's lovable in front of me to make it easier. And Lord, I trust that we're all, I hope we'd be willing to acknowledge that. It's it's present in our hearts, Lord. Um, We fall short of this great standard. We need your grace. We need the outpouring of your love, Father, to transform our hearts. And so I'm asking this morning for me, for us, your church, Lord, that we would, for one, that we would just be enamored with Jesus, the one who demonstrates your love for us in such undeniable, eternally unthinkable ways, that you would love us the way you do, Father, in all of our sin and unworthiness. You've loved us to the fullest measure. If we see, Lord, what you've done, who you are to us, then, Lord, I pray we could not be the same. We just couldn't, we just can't go along, Father, uh, as we were. Capture us, Lord, with your great love. Make it a resounding. Lord, echoing thing that's always in our ears and our hearts, Lord, always. That You would love me and give Yourself for me. Lord, let let that be now in us a conduit. Lord, a live wire. Lord, let Your love electrify us so that we might have something to offer, something to give, Lord, those around us that really is of You. It's divine. It's not just you know, it's not just a conscientious niceness. Lord, give us love that looks like Jesus. Uh, Father, I, I know that in some sense, I don't know what I'm asking for. It's too much, Lord. Uh, it's, it's too great. But we want it. Lord, if it, if it inconveniences us, we want it. Father, if it stretches us and and reveals sin in us, we want it. Father, we want to be like Jesus. We want more of Jesus, Lord. And so I pray for this, Lord. I pray this for Harvest Church, um, that we would defy explanation. God must be among us. Look at how we love. We pray it may be true in his great name. Amen.